if humans are naturally drawn to learning, why doesn't everyone enjoy school? If everyone has unique gifts and talents, why do some people feel dumb, depressed, and insignificant? If you want something different, you need to do something different. Welcome to the Element is Everything podcast, where we discuss real-world experiences, research, and strategies around finding your element, what it is, how to do it, and how to support others in developing it. Please welcome your host with over 30 years' experience in public education and independent learning, Terry Novacek. Imagine a life where motivation, tolerance, kindness, and a good night's sleep are abundant. Today, we're going to talk about the obstacles that can get between us and that life. It's time to get down to brass tacks. What are you willing to think, feel, and do to find your element? Maybe you feel you are happy enough. On life's broad happiness scale, that's a great place to be. Because let's face it, there are a lot of miserable people out there. And thank goodness you're not one of them. Happy is good. You are on the right track. But what if your happy meter went up a little? What if you found you could be happier, more fulfilled by changing just one thing in your life? Would you do it? How are you? your child, your friend, your spouse, whoever comes to mind for you as you listen here, how are you or they spending time and energy and what is the return on that investment? We've talked a lot about purpose in the last couple episodes, the things that bring you joy, that do good for others, and that help you grow and learn. And that's where everything should start, in the heart. We've also talked about mastery, that sense of accomplishment, where you operate in the zone, where your attention is so focused you lose track of time. Today, we're going to focus on courage, on having the guts to take ownership and overcome challenges. I feel I need to start by clarifying a couple of misconceptions. Well, actually, three of them. First, not every interest is a passion. You can be interested in antique cars, but that doesn't mean you need to spend hours a day reading about them, looking at them, or buying them, nor would you even want to. If antique cars do not put you in a state of flow, get your joy meter up in the green, and bring you a sense of accomplishment, then they are simply an interest. Second, not every talent needs to be exploited. Just because you may be a good writer or cook doesn't mean you need to be an author or chef. In fact, it is not uncommon for someone to turn an interest or talent into a career only to end up hating it later. Third, finding your element can sometimes be messy and uncomfortable. It's not always pretty, and sometimes you'll find the path you're taking leads you right to the end of a cliff. If you're fortunate enough not to go over the cliff, you can simply redirect. Even if you do go over the edge, you can still get back on the path. But you have to remember, there's always the chance that your path is actually found at the bottom of the cliff. 
So in a nutshell, and depending on where you are in your life, finding your element can be a long road and possibly a very uncomfortable process at first. The more time you have spent outside your element, the more you've ingrained yourself in a world that may include people and responsibilities that make developing your element more challenging. I'm not saying quit your job, leave your family, or walk away from your current life altogether. I'm just letting you know that if you're feeling like this process is starting to feel like a root canal, just know it will be worth it on the other side. If you are listening from a perspective of helping others, maybe your child, your students, your spouse, a friend, you need to remember it begins with you. Okay, so let's get uncomfortable. It's time to get down and dirty. And I have two words for you, accountability and vulnerability. Life happens. And oftentimes life is not within our control. Sometimes it feels cruel and unfair. You can sit back and be a victim or you can cross check your reality. How much responsibility are you willing to own? For example, let's say your child's school is one that closed during the pandemic. From your perspective, did that mean that he or she couldn't learn? Or just that learning was going to look a little different? Did you wait for someone else to take care of it for you? Or did you self-determine a remedy for the situation? Check your mindset. What were your prominent thoughts around the situation? Were you angry, fearful, overwhelmed? And why? Did you not want the responsibility of making sure your child is learning? Were you concerned you weren't equipped to assist them? Were you just too busy with other life responsibilities? There is no bad answer here, by the way as long as you are being honest with yourself and others. So I'm going to throw out a little food for thought here. In a situation like that, where your life seemed to be turned upside down, could you and your family adjust the budget to design a new living and learning environment? Or could the family and the household responsibilities shift a bit? Is it possible that your child might engage in learning more if given more autonomy and a chance to actually master something of interest rather than learning something for a test and moving on? This is a golden opportunity to give your children more control of their lives and learning, to develop agency and pride. First, my suggestion is to give them the gift of chores. Do not do anything to or for your children that they can do for themselves. Your job is to be the cheerleader and to connect the purpose dots for them. Help them understand cause and effect. Joey, if you make lunch today, I'll have time to go over your math with you. Susie, because you and your brother folded the laundry, we have time to play that new game after dinner. Help them see the benefits of their actions. In these instances, the kitchen and the clothes might be a little messier. 
but you have just offered your child the gift of independence and provided insight on the benefits of interdependence. You've given them a sense of belonging and significance. Here's another life happens. You're working from home and there are so many distractions you can't focus and do your job well. While that excuse might buy you a week of sympathy, it's up to you to take personal responsibility and self-determine a solution, whether it be working out a new household schedule, reconfiguring rooms and furniture, or enlisting the additional tools and help you need to make it work. Maybe it means working with your colleagues to adjust schedules and expectations. The people in your household should be a team. It is no one person's responsibility to figure everything out. Everyone should have a say in how their daily life plays out, and everyone over the age of three should be pitching in in one way or another. Sometimes we have more control than we think, but rather than owning it, we choose other strategies like just waiting it out to see what happens, pointing fingers, playing dumb, or flat out ignoring it. How we handle life is what makes us who we are, and if we're willing to take responsibility for our thoughts and actions, accept our role in our situations, that is what puts us on the right path to our element. Okay, okay, you say, I'll accept more personal accountability for my situation, and I'll even start teaching my kids personal accountability. How long before this element thing kicks in? Well, hold on a minute. There's another common hurdle, and that is vulnerability, that feeling of uncertainty about how our actions will play out. When we risk our reputation, our money, our safety, when we expose our heart. Brene Brown, a popular social science researcher and best-selling author, has written several books about vulnerability and what she deems as wholehearted living engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. Some of the parents listening may be interested in Brene Brown's Parenting Manifesto. A copy can be found on her website as well as ours. You can also find quite a few of her speaking engagements online. I believe the most popular one was her TED Talk in Houston back in 2010, entitled The Power of Vulnerability. In the 20-minute talk, she discusses her research around shame and vulnerability, and she identifies what she considers to be wholehearted people and what they have in common. Here's a couple minutes of what she discovered. What they had in common was a sense of courage. And I want to separate courage and bravery for you for a minute. Courage, the original definition of courage, when it first came into the English language, it's from the Latin word cur, meaning heart. And the original definition was to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And so these folks had very simply the courage to be imperfect. They had the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others, because as it turns out, we can't practice compassion with other people if we can't treat ourselves kindly. And the last was they had connection, and this was the hard part, as a result of authenticity. They were willing to let go of who they thought they should be in order to be who they were, which is you have to absolutely do that for connection. 
The other thing that they had in common was this. They fully embraced vulnerability. They believed that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. They didn't talk about vulnerability being comfortable, nor did they really talk about it being excruciating, as I had heard earlier in the shame interviewing. They just talked about it being necessary. They talked about the willingness to say, I love you first. The willingness to do something where there are no guarantees. The willingness to breathe through waiting for the doctor to call after your mammogram. The willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. They thought this was fundamental. After I heard that, I thought, wow, that connects to the element. That part where you're operating autonomously. Brene mentions in her talk our tendency to focus on the negative, and she ties it to shame. How it doesn't matter how much good we do, it's the few slip-ups that stay front and center on our mind. You know, that one time you didn't know the answer or didn't do the right thing and you felt dumb. Or that time you were left out or behaved badly and felt lonely. And don't forget that time you should have acted on something and you didn't and you felt weak. Everyone has a sense of vulnerability. It's how we handle it that makes the difference. Just as with accountability, we can deny it, ignore it, and blame others. But that only puts us on a rocky path headed in the wrong direction if our goal is to find and develop our element. There's a video clip called Stuck on an Escalator. It's hilarious. Well, to me anyway. It's another visual of the deer in the headlights concept. An escalator, not an elevator, but an escalator, stops and the people on it panic. They can't move. They yell out for help. They turn to their cell phones, which naturally aren't getting cell service, and they are doomed to spend the next days stranded on this escalator. Now, a self-determined person recognizes, I can simply put one foot in front of the other and walk up or down the steps of this thing. The passive learner, the one not accustomed to taking personal responsibility and not willing to take a risk, will stay there until the cows come home. Sometimes we equate the absence of ownership and vulnerability as a life free of stress and obligation, but it doesn't really work that way. You can try to convince yourself you don't care or that it's somebody else's responsibility, but that false sense of control will bite you later. You will find yourself, well, stuck on the escalator. So some of you might be thinking at this point, dang, I am doomed. I haven't taken the initiative to see and own up to the current situations in my life, and I'm a wizard at avoiding vulnerability. I say phooey, and here's why. Because science is on your side. The concept of neuroplasticity has gained a lot of attention in the last decade. If you haven't heard of it, it is your brain's ability to rewire itself, to adapt. Think of it as calisthenics for the brain. While it is easier during your youth, 
like so many things often are, it is not impossible as an adult. And while it can be challenging to overcome maladaptive thoughts and habits to establish more positive and fulfilling ones, it's not impossible. For example, we all know that eating foods closest to their natural state is the healthiest for our bodies. And we all know exercising our bodies keeps us nimble and strong. Yet the junk food industry is booming and obesity is at an all-time high in the U.S. Simple math and common sense will tell you that spending more than you make leads to debt and ingesting drugs alters the mind. Yet we are more in debt and medicated than any other time in history. The only way to overcome habits that do not serve you well is to train yourself to think differently, to be willing to be accountable, to own it. Willingness to be vulnerable, to make mistakes and learn from them, to put yourself out there. And the best way to do that is to focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Thanks to neuroplasticity, new thoughts and skills can be carved out in your brain, creating new pathways. Repetition and practice strengthen those pathways, and then they become habits. And those old pathways, those bad habits, they will weaken from being used less and eventually disappear. Things like travel, exercise, art and music, learning a new language, working with our hands, time with nature, even, I can't believe I'm saying this, but even video gaming are all examples of things we can do to flex and stretch our brain. So I can't help myself but to bring this back to our education system. The pandemic shined a light on authentic teachers and self-determined learners. Those who took agency by the tail and jumped in to take ownership, solve problems, collaborate, and to operate for a real purpose, not just for grades or a paycheck, because we all know students were receiving grades and teachers were being paid regardless of whether or not they accomplished anything. Those who continued to learn and support others in learning had a purpose bigger than a grade or paycheck. Many of them actually found their element because of the natural autonomy the situation provided. They became active learners, directing their own course. It became increasingly evident in the last year that students can learn without a teacher, but a teacher cannot teach without students. If there are children who did not learn in the last year, it is because an adult got in the way. Because if we do allow nature to take its course and give children the space and encouragement to learn, they will. We do not have to and should not be dependent on a formal teacher for information. Information is just too easy to come by these days. Children can utilize their capacity to determine what, when, and how they want to learn. It's called self-determined learning. The teacher's role has become simply to prepare the environment, spark the thought process, and guide the process. I say simply, but it really isn't simple, which is why I am still a strong believer in having trained educators. But the educator of today doesn't need to know all the right answers. They need to know the right questions. Human learning does not align with the history of schooling. 
the best learning is on the fly, in the moment, and it's purpose-driven. The reward is the problem solved, the collaborative effort to get there, and achieving a personal best. The masses of people seeking alternative models of education pre-pandemic resulted in a flurry of charter schools in the state of California, as well as other states across the nation that allow for charter schools. Parents and students are naturally following Gandhi's advice to be the change they want to see and taking steps to design their own learning experiences, becoming bigger and better as a result. That is not to say district schools are not stepping up to the personalized and student-centered plate. They just have more of a challenge given the folks that want to hold on to the past in spite of the fact it is not in the best interest of our future. Socrates once said, Let him that would move the world first move himself. By taking the time to self-reflect, pay attention to what you enjoy, appreciate what you're good at, and get in tune with what makes you happy and how you can serve others. By taking responsibility for your learning and your life, what do you need to learn? What do you want to learn? How do you learn best? Who can help you? Don't think about why you can't. Think about how you can. What is the talent and potential inside you just waiting to explode? You have to trust the process of self-determination. And you have to trust your child. Give the children chores. Give them options. Give them accountability. And help them embrace vulnerability. Every time you start to do something for your child, ask yourself, can he do that for himself? If you're concerned about him making a mess or a poor decision, there are solutions and opportunities for learning. You can always consider providing accommodations such as more time for them to tie their shoes, less concern about their unmatching or inappropriate clothes. So your eight-year-old chooses a tank top and flip-flops in 50-degree weather. If you're like me, the warm-weather princess of Southern California, that is a downright path to hypothermia. Regardless of where you live, all you need to do is suggest a jacket as a backup just in case they want it later. If it truly is a safety thing, then you can coincidentally have some items available for them later when they change their mind. One thing for sure, that uncomfortable day will help your child learn to seek suggestions the next time they dress for the day, or the ultimate goal, make better decisions on their own. Your job is the cheerleader and the role model. Find something positive and go with it. Model how learning happens all the time, everywhere we go, And all the people around us are our teachers. Celebrate the risks, the blunders, the mistakes that made you better and smarter. And as Mark Twain would say, don't let schooling interfere with your education. So, a recap. Finding your element is not all rainbows and butterflies. It can be messy and uncomfortable. But don't think for a minute that because it's not pretty or comfortable that it's not real. Our struggles help shape us. Also, finding your element doesn't happen quickly. But if you can get yourself to a place where at the end of each day, you are able to find something in your day that brought you a sense of belonging and significance, you will know you're on the right track. Check your heart. What are you feeling? Are you being kind to yourself and others? 
Check your mindset. What are you thinking? Are you being resourceful and creative to find smart solutions and make good decisions? Check your courage. How are you acting? What are you doing? Are you willing to be imperfect to take action? Be the change. Change your world as a student, a parent, a teacher, a superintendent, a supervisor, a community member, a life partner, a friend. Think to yourself, what is my belief about myself? What is my belief about others? What is my belief about my ability to learn? What do I want others' belief to be of me? And what do I do to support that? Do my behaviors and actions support my values? You can't change the past, but you can take charge of what happens today, which will take you into tomorrow. And you can't instill a love of lifelong learning and finding your element for your children or anybody else if you don't possess it yourself. It begins with you. And so I will leave you with some final words from the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley in 1875. Quote, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. End quote. Thank you for listening. Next month, we will focus on the design and monitoring of a personalized plan. Whether child or adult, student or professional, the process is pretty much the same. Setting goals, selecting resources, engaging in work, and measuring growth. What is not the same is how it looks for each person. We will learn about how dispositions, modalities, and environment come into play and how interests and talents can be incorporated into our daily lives.